Yes, I'm back on time for you guys who bug me when I'm late. I am actually on time this time. It is 7 p.m. on the East Coast. I am here, and I am very lucky this evening. I have with me a a man who has started an institute, a man who's an, an author, a man who's fought the man and changed like rules and regulations and such and laws, the man who who's he's the brains behind Tuttle Twins, the man himself. Connor Boyack, how are you, sir? I'm well, Larry. Thanks for having me on. I am glad to have you here. And for those of you who want more information on what he's doing, you can click any of the links that are in the description, Twitter, Facebook, the website, or head over to TuttleTwins.com. That's two T's in Tuttle and or Libertas.org. You can check those out if you want more information. But I have to ask you, Connor, you are trying to do something which I think is 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 wonderful and insane you're trying to basically change the world am i right uh those are good descriptors for it i wake up and i feel like i should be in a mental institution and i think well wait a minute i run a think tank and that if you a mental institution a think uh, anyways uh, you know i you have to be a little crazy to do this because to think that you can take on you know these these powerful institutions and and uh, with their incentives and entrenched opposition and stuff it can be kind of depressing if you're not a little crazy and think of yourself as kind of a david versus goliath and and uh but no we we have a a good time we've had a lot of success which of course is very motivating for us because we can see the change we've had and it's helpful for us to kind of continue in the fight uh we've been at it for a decade and changed i think 80 or 90 laws now we're scaling nationally um so it's it's been a lot of fun Yeah, this is a piece I wanted to bring up, right? Most of the, I guess, organizations or think tanks or whatever, they tend to focus on kind of specific things like we're going to make the Second Amendment, you know, put it back or, you know, we're going to end privacy, you know, violations. Or they tend to be about one thing. Right. Yours is larger. You're, You're almost like you're almost like a warrior philosopher. (laughs) <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm going to put that on the business card now. Thanks for that. I, uh, the, here, here's the thing. So when I, I helped get Mike Lee elected in 20, when was that? 2010. And I was we just def- that Freedom Fest with him. We went on the same stage together. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so when he was taking on the incumbent congressman who was running for reelection, there were a bunch of other people running. It was, you know, Mike and like six of us in a living room saying, let's let's try to get this guy elected. That's where I kind of cut my teeth politically. Uh, I was more of kind of a constitutionalist Republican at the time. And as I became more libertarian, uh, I I tried to find my home. I tried to find Mm. after that, after we got Mike elected, I tried to figure out what organization I, I ran the state chapter for the 10th amendment center, which to your point was about, you know, yep. kind of the 10th amendment. And that was their thing. Right. And I, yep. I, I joined with different groups. I was trying to figure out where I wanted to be, but, but being very libertarian, I came to this realization that we're never going to have like 8,000 niche groups to cover all of the areas where the government is unfairly violating our rights. And right. because we're never going to have that many niche single issue groups, we need a broad group. And I didn't see any group in my state of Utah focusing on trying to reform state laws. At the time, we were very focused on Utah. Now, as I said, we're scaling nationally because of the success we've had. But I felt like there had to be a group that was thinking bigger picture. And uh, so that's what we set up our think tank to be. To your point, yes, we work on you know local government, property rights, economic freedom, taxes, regulation, parental rights, and everything in between. Uh, which is fun, frankly, because it's kind of like throwing mud up against a wall to see what mm-hmm. sticks. It's sure. like we'll we'll have like 30 or 40 different policies any given year that we're pushing on a wide range of issues. Some will fail. A lot right. will fail, but a lot will pass. And so it's been great to like have a lot of uh, progress and momentum. I feel bad for the single issue groups where like that's right. their one issue because if they hit like leadership says no or the political wind shift or whatever, they're dead in the water. They're done. That's right. Hard. It's hard to fundraise. It's hard to feel good about yourself in the morning that you're making any progress. But when you work on a lot, um, it's actually very mo- very motivating because inevitably you'll succeed in some stuff, even if you do have some failures elsewhere. That's that's great. But now I want to shift to the next thing. You were thinking, how do I move people, right? How do I move the world, right? How do I change? And you then decided, I know what I'll do. 
I'll write children's books. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't like, you know, that's not the normal way regular people think. So I'm kind of going with the crazy part on you right here because that's <laughs> no person to go, you know, what we should do to change the world. Kids books. That's not the normal way people think. So you had something <laughs> here. What happened? Tell me what happened. So I have a co-conspirator who's similarly crazy. His name's Elijah Stanfield. And mm -hmm. uh, he and I met at Freedom Fest, actually, for the first time. And he uh, was actually working with the Rev Pack, which was one of the mm. super PACs helping Ron Paul's presidential campaign. He yep. did some of the, the videos that everyone saw the uh, what was it? The Mitt Romney when they were getting vaccinated and the little puppets. And anyways, he, he was a kind of a videographer animator and we were talking, he had young kids. I had young kids. We're kicking around this idea. And as I would talk to my kids coming home, like at the end of the day, I'd ask them, Hey, tell me what you did today. And how was your day? And every once in a while they would reciprocate the question and be like, well, dad, what did you do today? And I'm like, uh, how do I explain to a six-year-old that I'm fighting eminent domain or how do you talk about, you know, socialism with a, with an eight-year-old, all these ideas were like percolating in our head. So one day I literally go to Amazon and I'm like, you know, free market books for kids or libertarian principles for kids. Couldn't find anything. And I started to realize that what Elijah and I had been noodling around, what we were thinking about <clears throat> had merit. And at least for us, we wanted to to give it a try. And so we did one book and uh, it was just a test. We actually went to Freedom Fest. We had a big old booth and, and we did, the shtick is all of our children's books are based off of um, original books. And so our first book here was The Law, yeah. which by is way, by- my, my favorite libertarian book is The Law. It's my favorite one. That's awesome. And, and our theory was people like you will see them at Freedom Fest. They've read The Law by Bostat. And then we're like, hey, we got the kids version for your kids or grandkids. And it was great. We had a lot of success. We sold a lot of books. Um, and to us, that was a market signal that we've identified an opportunity and let's tap, let's lean into this. And so now we've got, I don't know, we're, I think past 20 books now, overall, we've got books for toddlers and teenagers and the kids. And I saw you've got the, the, the Tuttle Toddler. Is that what it's Tuttle, called? Here's one. I got the there Tuttle we Toddlers. Yeah, yeah, the ABCs of I, Liberty. I teed that one up and you were ready for it. Well done. Oh, I, I have my props here. I got to be ready for this. You I know, and, and like you'll like this. Here's a N is for the nap. And so uh, <laughs> we teach the non-aggression principle, but they're in their pajamas like a nap. Don't hurt me. Don't take my things. So like the fun thing for us is, is these principles can be – it is hard to figure out how to yes. simplify these ideas for kids. It does take an interesting little challenge for us. But – Kid, I've been blown away. Kids can understand spontaneous order and, you know, uh, capitalism and sound money and like all these ideas. If you wrap it in a fun story, like kids can, and, and they like learning this stuff. They like the challenge. Mm -hmm. They see these as like adult ideas, right? Right. And so right. they see themselves as like, Ooh, I'm, this is a grown up idea I get to learn right. about. And they, they swallow this whole, like, it's amazing how the kids resonate with these ideas. So let me grab, I got a, my chat's exploding. Let me get some chat, some comments out here to make right. them happy too. If I could, Ed says, I heard about the Tuttle Twins and it's a good series for kids to read. There we go, Ed. So it's, you, you, you've got Thanks, a, uh, you, you got a fan already. I love it. Jennifer says, we love Tuttle Twins. My homeschool kids have read them all. Nice. That is nice. And I'm going to walk into homeschool in a second, Jennifer. You, you took my thunder away, Jennifer. That's all right. We'll do it in a second. Yes. Uh, Adam's already a fan. It's going to be a great interview. I love that. <laughs> Nate says, hey. Hey, Nate. So, I don't know if you remember Nate, but Nate says, hey. Um, Pete says, Ron Paul was right about everything. Okay. We Larry, got some Ron Paul people. Here, here's a fun story. At that Freedom Fest booth, mm -hmm. uh, when we had just one book, I'm sitting behind the booth with Elijah, and I had just listed the books for sale on our website, or the book, Singular for sale on our website, I think a few weeks previously. So I'm getting orders on my little notifications on my phone every 20, 30 minutes. I'd you know, sell a book or whatever. I'm sitting behind the booth. I get a notification. It's another order, except this person ordered 50 copies of the book. And I look, I'm like, who ordered 50 copies? It's Ron and his wife, Carol Paul. I talked to them afterwards. They bought one for all their grandkids. I was like, all nice. right, like we're on to something. Ron Paul. That's a win. So yes, that that's a win. So Tom's he's, he likes you. You got a lot of fans here. There's many fans you have here. That's I thought great. I'm doing something special. I thought I'm giving you guys something new. You guys don't know this guy already. I love now it. We know this guy. <laughs> I love it. Ryan says kids learn so much easier than us adults. I tell them that brain sponge. Also homeschool our daughter. 
So yes, Joe Gallo says, love your books. Sweet. There we go. Okay. Sam says, have to check it out. See? So somebody new too. All right. All right. There we go. We're reaching new people. It. So a lot of people love you. But I got a guy's a serious question. Okay. He's asking, he says, why do you choose to include religion in your books? So many people believe in liberty will not like your books because of this. I'm one. Is, Good is question. that a criticism that you, you get? Do you get that kind of criticism? I'd say once a month or every other month. It's rare, but it's fair, except it's also misinformed. There's only one book in all of the books we publish that has anything religious in it. And it is that first book by the law. In this book, it talks about how our rights come from our creator. Why did we do that? Because the book is based off of Frederick Bastiat's The Law, where he argues the exact same thing. And so if you want to disregard the law by Bastiat, more power to you. Uh, But we're incorporating his ideas. I believe that myself. I understand that not everyone does. Uh, But it's not a reason to discard all the rest of the books in the series, which have no religious content at all. There we go, Dan. That was nice. He answered your question so easy. I want to go to the homeschool piece, though. All right. Because... I happen to be a fan of homeschooling. I've considered homeschooling my kids, and I kind of did last year when COVID <laughs> first hit because my kids couldn't go to school when, when New York City decided that everyone's non-essential except for government workers, so you have to stay home when right. that happened in New York City. So we kind of started to homeschool our kids by default, if that made any sense. Um, but I know that that's been a big deal for you, homeschooling children. Is that the biggest is that the biggest place where you where you get the people buying your books, or is that just what it seems like from the outside? You know, it's interesting. Our audience is split right down the middle. Half okay. of our audience are homeschoolers. The other half are mostly public, but also private and charter school as well. And as we've surveyed our audience over the years, it's boiled down to two things. For the homeschoolers, they see this as curriculum, uh, sure. civic education, economics, et cetera, and rightly so. For the uh, families who whose children go to school, for them, it's a supplement. And it's a supplement mm. because they know that their kids are not only not learning these ideas in school, they're also learning contrary ideas in yes, school. Capitalism, capitalism is evil and the founding fathers were all racist bigots and all these things. And, uh, and so these families feel like they have to counteract uh, what mm-hmm. their children are being exposed to. Maybe they, they financially can't afford to homeschool or not the right what personality, decision, whatever. Uh, but these parents at least consciously recognize that they got to do a little bit of effort in the home to counteract or supplement what's happening in the schools. And so for them, it's that additional support to make sure that their children are kind of well-rounded, being exposed to these ideas because they know the schools aren't going to do it. There we go. Uh, Nate says, great answer to the religion question. Mm. Um. Shelly says, so many people have fallen in love with homeschooling. I think that's true too, right? It's tripled nationwide. I mean, and I think as we head into the next school year, we're only going to see more. We've already seen in schools that have opened early. Uh, many are already going back into quarantine and they're requiring vaccines and all these things. Uh, the COVID response by the government has been the greatest marketing vehicle homeschoolers yes. could have ever asked for. Uh, present company included. We homeschool our kids. I'm a big homeschooling or alternative education evangelist. And uh, and seeing the cluster that has become government education, so many families are waking up to the need for something different. And, uh, and what that is for each family differs, uh, but at least there are many options now, especially compared to even a decade ago, let alone before. And it's so much easier than it ever was. There's so many more resources and online groups and homeschool co-ops and micro schools and pandemic mm-hmm. pods and everything else. Um, and, and so it is a sacrifice. You do have to prioritize that and assume yes, that absolutely. parental responsibility rather than continuing to delegate it to someone else. Uh, but I think it leads to better outcomes uh, across a whole host of different metrics. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm a big proponent. Here we go. Well, Dan's on board. He's like, I really appreciate your efforts. I only want more people to like what you've done. So I think Dan was okay with your answer too. You're winning. Look at you. Connor, you're winning. I love it. <laughs> I, I love that. That's awesome. Bridget says, I'm going to have to check out these books. So there we go. More and more people. I love it. There we go. So let me go to the other piece for the homeschooling aspect, though. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people homeschool and across mm-hmm. the country. And I've heard, I don't know, probably a dozen times that the parents who have your books, they say, 
Larry, I mean, I love the Tuttle Twins for my kids, but I've learned a lot too. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, was this was this like your your plan in the long run? Was it really to get to the the, the parents and you know, using the kids? And was this like some cool plan you had from the beginning? Larry, I wish I could take credit for this, but I have to admit it was an accident we stumbled into. So here I am running a think tank, trying to figure out how to persuade adult voters to change their you know, yep. perspectives and, and support different things. And then off over here, we start up this little youth education project on a whim with no grand vision of, by the way, of what mm, it's become. Okay. It was just like, oh, this will be fun. And, and uh, yeah, let's do a second book. And yeah, let's do a third, but no vision for like what the world has become today and all the wokeism and crazy stuff happening. And, um, and even as the kind of campaign or the mission started to build itself around the books, in terms of this bigger strategic priority of what we were doing, it was all still focused on the kids. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly as you say, these parents started emailing us and they're like, oh my gosh, I've never learned that before. I learned so much more you know, reading with my kids than I ever remember learning in school. And so spontaneously out of this pro project emerged for us what has become the most significant opportunity to bring new people into our movement. We're always talking about reaching new people and not preaching to the choir and we gotta grow the movement. And I mean, I'll, I'll be cocky for just a second. I know of no greater initiative, more successful initiative doing that for the Liberty Movement. Second to like, you know, Ron Paul running for president, like spreading the word. But Tuttle Twins has been this amazing thing. Hundreds of families are, are, are buying the books every single day. And most of these parents are not libertarian. They've never right. read, you know, any of the books our books are based on. They've never heard of Henry Hazlitt or, you know, maybe they've heard of Ayn Rand, but maybe back in high school, they struggled to read Atlas Shrugged. Like they've just never read the law by Boston or any of this kind of stuff. And maybe they believe in freedom or the constitution or, you know, they value choice or they consider themselves independent, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. that is the degree to which they consider themselves informed or involved. Now we're educating them on these key principles. They understand these ideas. They can wrap their heads around them. They can talk about them with their kids. So they see it valuable because they're, helping educate their children. So it's a big plus for them. And so we've really leaned into that. And we've got parent guides now for all of our books. We're doing a lot Very of nice. uh, different education efforts because we've recognized that we're reaching a lot of new adults. And the way to get to them is through their kids by giving their kids or, or enabling the parent to provide their kids with an educational experience. We're also having the parents let their guard down. We're not saying, hey, mom, here's economics in one lesson by Henry Hazel. Why don't you give that a read? She's never going to do it. But when we right. say, hey, this is for your kid. Why don't you read together? And then there's discussion yeah. questions at the end of the chapter. Ah, you know, you hook them and, and we rope them into our movement. It's been a lot of fun. I love that. So you're telling me I got to write kids books. Okay, good. Got it. That's my next <laughs> do plan. It. Do it. My next plan. Short way for kids. That's my next plan. I love it. Robert says, my son is learning how to read and I really can't wait to stop buying him these books. Well, there awesome. we go. Life is good. We are rocking and rolling here. I love this. So with that in mind, I feel like there's a part of either you or your organization, or maybe it's just personal, that really doesn't like government schools, like <laughs> doesn't like them at all. Because you've mentioned things like, I'm, 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 I'm going to paraphrase you, so correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. But you was, you've said things like, you know, the system itself is socialist or right? The, the, it, how can you have uh, a system teach free market when it's not a free market system? Or yep. I'm paraphrasing, but am I close to what you mean? Absolutely. No, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, I'll, I'll share this quote in a religious context, but it has a political application. There's this evangelical pastor who years ago shared this quote and said, can, can we as Christians really ex uh, expect to send our children to Caesar's schools and have them not return home as Romans. And, and so the political equivalent of that, I feel like, is can we as liberty lovers really send our children to government schools and really expect them not to become kind of socialist or, you know, they're not going to learn about freedom and capitalism and whatever in these government schools. If you go back and, and study the history of American education, if you look at Horace Mann, John mm -hmm. Dewey, John Goodlad, you look at the, the architects of the modern system, these guys were secular humanists, socialist utopians who wanted to subordinate individuals to the collective. They wanted to shape individuals in a way that they wanted to mold people to be compliant for collectivist groups that could be shaped at their whim. 
so people today say, oh, the schools are failing. There's all these problems and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, actually, no, they're succeeding. Like this is, this is notwithstanding the well-intentioned teachers, many of whom I know and love who Absolutely. enter the system because they have the noble desire to educate and, and et cetera, et cetera. You look at a John Taylor Gatto who for 30 years was teaching in your state of New York. He, I don't know if you know this story. He won uh, uh, New York state. Well, first he won New York city teacher of the year. And then he won New York state teacher of the year. This is awarded by the whole education establishment in the very year. This is in the eighties that he got that <clears throat> state award. He wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled, I Quit, I Think, in which he goes on to say, I'm hurting children more than I'm helping them, even though I'm trying to work within the system. And I need wow. to quit and go find a better way to help these children because the system is sucking them dry. It's, it's bleeding their curiosity, their love of learning. And no matter what I do, I can't overcome the systemic problems. He's written a bunch of books. They're fantastic. John Taylor Gatto, G-A-T-T-O. Um, and, and so, yes, I criticize the system, not because it's, it's, I want to be critical of those today who are within the system. It is the nature of the beast mm -hmm. itself and no great teacher, uh, of which John Taylor Gatto was definitely one can overcome the inherent problems, uh, in the system. Now I'm, I'm getting all Monty Python. Come look, the, the violence inherent in the system. Uh, anyways. No, but I, I, I get you. And, you know, as I travel the state running for office, I met many teachers and many of them said similar things. They're, they're, they love teaching. They don't want to quit because they love teaching, but they hate the system. Right. Many teachers hate the system. And yeah, sadly, right. I've also met many former teachers who simply couldn't take the system and left. They yeah. love the kids. They wanted to teach, but the system was so bad. They're like, you know what? There's only so much I can take. And they literally right. just walked away. I, I've, I've heard that also dozens of times. Jeff says, I don't have any kids, but I have two nieces and they'll be getting these whether they want them or not. Don't be mean, Jeff. Be good to them. Don't be mean now. <laughs> All right. Shadow also says, I'm buying these for my nieces and nephews. There we go. I love this. But Steve has a very important question. Steve right. says, how do these books go over with apolitical people? My adult daughter is turned off by any political talk whatsoever. I would get them as a gift for my grandson, but I don't want to cause a rift. It's, mm. You have to hear this, right? Yeah, uh, we, we do hear that. Um, and what I say to that is we have certain books that are less political than others. So okay. certainly if you get um, even the law or the fate of the future um, or our latest one, the Leviathan crisis, which is based off of Bob Higgs's uh, a crisis in Leviathan, which documents how time and again, we get scared and we say to the government, save us. And it says, sure, just give me your freedom. And we say, okay, here you go. Uh, so there are certain books that are more political. However, there are many books that are apolitical or hardly political. Something like the Tuttle Twins and the Miraculous Pencil, which is all about free markets and how they work, how a pencil is made and how that's right. the key to social harmony of people from different races, religions, cultures, and creeds all working together. It's a very positive message uh, for someone who isn't political. The Tuttle Twins and the Golden Rule. I mean, what parent doesn't want their children understanding and practicing the Golden Rule? The Food Truck Fiasco is just a fun little you know, economic uh, book. So there are several books like that's that. That's probably my favorite one because I'm oh, a good. small business guy, so I like that one. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> so and, and so- so some resonate with others, and um, and it's very possible to have uh, select books that you can use uh, for an audience or for a family or to kind of bypass the mom so, or the dad. So I'm going to bug be... you right now. I'm going to bug you right now. How do we know which ones are which? Is there like a a list that says here are the here are the entry level ones for those people who will get mad if you don't follow their politics. that's a fair question we haven't branded them that way however if you go to tuttletwins.com slash books uh, you'll see the list and i believe that webpage says each of the books that we based ours off of so for example the creature from jekyll island is based off of you know the creature from jekyll island by jerry griffin and so what i would say is someone who's familiar with the original books is probably going to be able to say ah. Eh, the one that they based off of Atlas Shrugged, right? They're probably not going to be okay. But the one, you know, that's based off of, uh, you know, Miraculous Pencil or um, what's our, uh, we have the a book, uh, Competition and Entrepreneurship about why entrepreneurs are so important, right? So like, if you know anything about the original books, you can probably kind of figure out like, ah, this book's a little stronger. Okay. So the Tuttle Twins book probably also is. 
Um, and you can kind of self-select that way. Okay, so I've just given you some free advice. I should say my chat has. Just given like you it. some free advice. You got to come up with a, here's the entry level for the supercharged political grand. I like it. It's a good idea. There we go. So perfect. There we go. Thank you, Steve. All right. So um, Shelly says she's going to share the website. So that's good. Um, Donnie says, here's a question. He says, what specific socialist policies are we fighting? And what does libertarianism offer compared to what is being offered by the agenda on the left? That is a super broad question, Donnie. I mean, I could spend the entire show talking about that. Um, that's, wow, so broad. Um, I'll, I'll bring up one, and that is socialist policies, many of them, and that could be anything from, say, a Medicare for all, or that could be anything from a school system for all, is they're based upon monopoly and shutting down the entrepreneur or the person who wants to do something else. In a libertarian world, you can go to the biggest if you want to. You can even voluntarily be a socialist if you want to. But in a socialist world, you have to conform. And if you don't conform, eventually over time, whether that's immediately or in time, you will go to prison. So I think in my view, any of those policies, any policy where they create one monopoly, that's it, that does everything. It ensures that things will only change when the powerful want to change it. And the people who are not powerful will never get to change anything. And I think that's what we're offering. We're off libertarianism, in my view, is offering people to be able to change as they see fit. And for those who don't want to change, to fall right in line with those who they want to fall in line with. Do you want to touch anything, Connor? That's a very broad question. It is a broad question. Maybe I'll answer it in our Tuttle Twins context, because there's certainly the policy and, and legal kind of side of, of this, too. Um, I might suggest uh, this. Our children are being taught socialism in schools. Curriculum and textbooks have all kinds of socialist arguments um, and lessons within them. I have a textbook at, at home uh, that I bought. It's a very popular social studies book used in schools across the country. And it glorifies the government throughout. Oh, the government is what protects the environment. And FDR helps stop the depression. And all these government programs help people. And look how great the government is. To me, that's saying central planning and socialism is great. The government can solve all your problems and you know, no thought or care for any individualism or personal freedom or anything like that. To the latter part of his question about how libertarian libertarianism can help, to me, it's the only thing that can help. It's the individual. Mm -hmm. Collectivism always fails. Central planning never works. It's the knowledge problem that Hayek talked about. One person can never possess sufficient knowledge to know everything that's needed to solve any particular problem. You go back to that pencil story, how even a simple pencil is made. I do these little assemblies for fourth and fifth graders where I have a, a, a big pencil. It's like a foot and a half long and it's a functioning pencil. And so I have this big prop and I'm like, okay, what are the parts of the pencil? And they name them, you know, it's the wood, it's the metal. And then I have a big chunk of wood and a big chunk of metal for all these little props that they can feel. And I'm like, who here thinks that they can make a pencil all by themselves? And of course they all confidently raise their hand. And I'm like, can you chop down a tree? And how do you chop down a tree? Like you need an ax or you need a chainsaw. You don't know how to make a chainsaw. You don't know how to build the roads that you need to trans. And, and so they start to get the message of like, oh my gosh, all these people are needed just to do this one thing. That is why libertarianism is so critical. It is the only way the world works is individuals having the personal freedom and the opportunity and the profit motive to do what their rational self-interest suggests that they should do for their own purposes. But all those little decisions added together create spontaneous order, an economy that works, provides everyone the resources that they need to do whatever it is they want to do. That is what makes the world a better place. It's never the collectivism and central planning that, yes, you can identify these particular beneficiaries of that policy. Oh, fight for 15. All these people now make $15 an hour, except let's not look at all the automation and all the, all the restaurants that are now firing all their you know, front end uh, employees, um, central planning always breaks down and it's because of that knowledge problem. There we go. Donnie, I hope we answered your question. Thank you for that question. I really appreciate it. Um, Ryan comments, the government figured out a long time ago, the future lies in indoctrination of the youth. Great counterattack. Ah, <laughs> see, you're counterattacking. I love it. Roma says, what a coincidence. I just bought the set of Tuttle Twins two or three days ago. Look at that. Larry, let me, I, I, I should have mentioned this earlier. This doesn't help Roma, but it can help other people. We've got a coupon code we set up. So you enter the coupon code SHARP and you'll get 40% off of the books and free activity workbooks. And so you go to TuttleTwins.com, coupon code SHARP, and that'll get you 40% off. Is that off. SHARP with an E? 
With an E, yes. With an E, which stands for an education. Education. <laughs> the there econ you go. Economics. There we there go. There you Look. go. Lots of cool <laughs> stuff. And the E stands for education. So there we go. See? Love that. Sharp with an E. There we go. So do that, guys. If you're going to buy some stuff, put Sharp in so they'll know it came from here and they'll think I'm super cool. And that's good. I, <laughs> I would like Connor to think I'm super cool. So there we go. Um, Lepke's teasing. He says, I sent my kid to government school and he came home a libertarian. Well done, Lepke. I love that. That's There awesome. are exceptions to the rule, I guess. Absolutely. Yes. Robert says, when my son started school, I was turned off instantly when the secretary in the office told me that I can leave a message for the teacher, but the teacher has the right to not respond. Why does it have to be difficult to have a conversation with our kids' teachers about our kids and their learning? Wow. Wow. That's a problem. I agree. Christine says, my eight-year-old grandson is listening with me. He wants your books. Well, put in code SHARP. With an E, there you go. and you'll get some time. You'll get some 40% off. Look at that. I love that. So Roman has asked a very important question. Why do you think so few Americans are libertarians considering, considering that the principles, it's the principles America was founded on? That uh, really is a good question, right? Why are so few people libertarians when if you look back at our history, we were very libertarian as we began, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. No, I, 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 maybe I'll slip Rome a $5 bill for this, uh, asking this question <laughs> afterwards, because it, it tees me up for a big project that we're working on. Larry, let's okay. see if you know uh, how to finish this sentence. Uh, those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Bingo. Here's the problem. Curriculum that is being used throughout the country for social studies in elementary and middle school, we're talking revolution, declaration of independence, constitution, all the rest consistently fails to help young people learn from the past. At best, it teaches them to learn about the past. And there's ah, a very important difference. These books I, I bought about six months ago, I went on eBay and Amazon. I bought all these books that are being used in schools today. And all of them talk about the facts and the dates and the names and the battles and the who and the what. Yep. None of them, none talked about the ideas, the Judeo-Christian mm. influence, the classical liberalism, the Greco-Roman, the all of all of the ideas, the John Locke influence. Like everyone was a John Locke person. I mean, that was the, the amazing thing. John Adams says the real revolution happened in the minds of the people in the 15 years preceding the first shot fired at Lexington. It was that people were undergoing this libertarian transformation in large measure due to John Locke. None of these books for kids talk about it. At sure. most, they talk about how uh, they were upset about no taxation without representation, but it was so much more than that. And so kids today have no conception of what those ideas were. Therefore, mm -hmm. they can't relate it to their lives today, which is why we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. And I would argue this is intentional, the dumbing down of our curriculum. Oh, absolutely. And so Roma, to your question, um, what I'll share is that this is something we are tackling. We are working on an American history textbook and curriculum that will help children learn not only the what and the who and the names and the dates of American history, but most importantly, the ideas, because it's mm. those ideas we can learn from and apply today so that a kid in 2021 can feel that connection to history. Imagine briefly, Larry, I'll share this. When let's say we're learning about, um, the, the, the Bill of Rights, the let's okay. say the Fourth Amendment, search and seizure. And it arose because they were sick of the Redcoats writing those writs of assistance and saying, let us in your home. We have this permission slip. Imagine when learning about that, we say to kids today, oh, you know that today we have the NSA and they're, you know, spying oh, on our yes. phones without a warrant, just like. Yes. The, you know, and suddenly history comes alive to a kid who has a modern connection to the ideas and the concerns of the past. This is totally absent in today's curriculum and something we're really leaning into. It'll probably take us another six to nine months uh, to fully develop this, but we're, we're doing something really big with it because it's so needed. So what you've just said is it isn't only events that create, that, that lead up to a big event, but it's ideas that also led to the big event. And you're right. We're not taught that. We're taught... Small event, small event, small event equals big event, right? Like yeah. it was the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's that kind of thing. 
we're not taught the ideas is what makes it happen. Yep. That's great. I love what, that. What motivated these people to do what they did? Let's get inside their minds and try and understand what they would say about today. I mean, so much important insight that is totally um, absent in the classroom. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Sam was a teacher. He says, I was a well-intentioned teacher in math. And the crazy amount of woke even 10 years ago made me sick mm. to my stomach. Zero critical thinking and now zero pushback on the dogma. Wow. Look at mm. that. So, yeah, a, another a teacher, that, uh, a former teacher that I've met. Sure. And Bridget says, I hear this from a lot of old teachers. Yes, this is a common problem. I hear it all the time. Teachers who want to do well and feel like the system just doesn't, doesn't support them. Right. Mr. Whitfield says, seriously considering homeschooling if I stay in New York. Mm. absolutely yes robert asks are these books offered in different languages absolutely so you go to tuttletwins.com slash products and at the very bottom of the page you'll see all the different languages i think we have about a dozen languages right now and um more to come and honestly this is one of the funnest parts of the project for me because occasionally i'll see people who will be like yeah, my kids read the Tuttle Twins. They're learning about the Constitution. Go America. And I'm like, uh, not really. Like our books don't, haven't mentioned yet the Constitution, I don't think. And, uh, and they're certainly not just for America. Granted, a lot of this is in the American context because sure. I think the Declaration of Independence was like this like world-breaking record of amazingness for, for liberty. But these ideas, as the declaration itself said, are for all people. This is not an American thing. And so we very much write the books in a way that will be uh, relatable to and applicable for people in different countries. And then we translate them. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of books in uh, like Germany, Italy, France, Brazil, uh, Mexico, um, a few other countries I'm not remembering. We got our first book, The Law, in Korean. I, I want to partner with one of these renegade groups where they, in South Korea, they'll go up to the, oh, the little yeah. email and they do the hot air balloon and yep. drop like educational material into North Korea. So yes. we'll see if we can get it done. <laughs> That'd be amazing. So I, I kind of want to touch a little bit about the question that, that you know, we, she brought up about, you know, why are people not as libertarian as they could be? Mm-hmm. I think you're right. We're kind of indoctrinated, but it's something else that happens too. We we start to have a, a world to where if we give a little bit away, it's easy to give more away, right? So you know, it's it's uh, and the the COVID is the perfect example. Just wear a mask, that's all, right? Or now then it's wear three masks. That's wear a mask in your house, right? Or it's right. just two weeks to 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 flatten the curve. Then it's six months. Then it's a year and a half. Then it's forever. So I feel like we're constantly doing that slowly but surely. And that's another piece. As as life is pretty good for most Americans, not all, obviously, but for most Americans, life is pretty good. So so what's if I got to put a mask on or yeah. insert thing here? So what if I got to give a little more of my tax money away? Or so what if I got to spend a little bit more on, you know, bombing people or whatever's the little thing, right? I mean, we just we just keep going down that road. So I do think that's a part of it also. So um, Rob wants to send the books to the socialists for other countries. So, <laughs> don't forget the code sharp gets you a bonus. So don't forget that. So yes, but, but go ahead. You want to say something? Yeah. I, on your previous point, Larry, there's a book that was very moving to me uh, by a guy named Milton Mayer. Uh, he was an American journalist of Jewish background and German descent. Mm-hmm. And during and after uh, World War II, he was very perplexed with this idea that touched him in all these ways. As a journalist, he's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? As an American, he's horrified. As a German, he's like, what are my people doing? As a Jew, he's disgusted. And, uh, and so he decides to go over to Germany post-World War II, and he's trying to get in the head of all these Germans and say, how did you let this happen? Like, how, how did it come to this? He interviews yeah. all these people from all these walks of life. The book is called They Thought They Were Free. Mm. And, and in this book, he has all of these different people that he interviews from, you know, businessmen and homemakers and like all these people. And like, I feel bad even trying to summarize all of the amazing insights and, and interesting stuff in the book. But if I were to distill it down into one thing, it, it's very much along the lines of what you're saying. 
it's the incrementalism of it all. Yes. They, they say over and over again, like, oh, if you had told us at the beginning that it would have gone there, we never would have rejected. But not only was it the conditioning of the incrementalism that, oh, it's just, it's just one more thing. Oh, it's just one more thing. It's also in reverse. It was, well, we didn't object to that thing yesterday. Yes. So why would we object today? And it was this paralysis of inaction because they had not acted before. It wasn't just the forward-looking incrementalism of new restrictions on freedom and new horrible things. It was that looking backwards, they're like, oh, I'm not a person who speaks up. I'm not a person who You brought up a very valid point, out. right? And I'm and I'll go down to to I'll I'll bring we're talking about Nazis, I'll talk about Nazis. I don't mind. The the, the issue is at least we didn't start with it, right? Godwin's law, you go right to it. We didn't go right to right. it. So anyway, so but my my point being is that most of the German population was not was not members of the Nazi party. They weren't Nazis. Most of Germans weren't Nazis. So it wasn't like they were actively doing, but to your point, they were letting it all happen, right? And if mm -hmm. you're, say you're a baby born in 1920 in Germany, you're a baby. Why would you think it's a good idea to cart off my Jewish population and murder them? You would never think that as a baby. You wouldn't even know what a Jewish person is. Right. So you have to be taught and conditioned over 20 years that eventually when they start carting off Jews to murder them, you go, eh. Right? At one point, you have to go, eh which is what most Germans did, right? Obviously, most Germans weren't Nazis. Most Germans weren't killing Jews, but they weren't yeah. stopping them. They right. were going, eh. Yeah. And I think you're right. That has to incrementally be to where it's acceptable at one point. Where people go, And yeah, for me, whatever. I guess the, the, the learning there is like conditioning myself to speak out at even the small injustices. It's interesting. I think it was Madison. It might've been John Adams, but he has a quote that says something like, this was the grand experiment of liberty that we saw the violation of principle in theory and we spoke out against its minimal encroachment. In other words, we didn't wait for the big thing to happen. We started speaking out against the small, minute violations mm -hmm. of liberty so that as the violations continued, as King George and Parliament doubled down, we had this caseload of examples to kind of rest our consistency on and say, we are the type of people who are fierce guardians of our freedom. And even if they're you know, objected to or violated in part, we still speak out. I think that's where we can all improve today. I, I think it is very easy for us to be like, ah, two weeks to flatten the curve. Okay, another two weeks, no big deal. Right. Okay, another, you know, oh, restrictions, like COVID goes to sleep after 10 p.m. So that's when we're going to close the restaurants. Oh, okay, yes. that's fine. You know, like, yes, exactly, <laughs> yes. Well, Missy says, please help and, and support the short way for free. Like, subscribe, and comment. She's right. So let me take this as a second to pump this real fast. Guys, please like, comment, and share. It does matter. How, I'm going to get canceled if you guys don't do this, right? I get shadow banned all the time. We get around that because you guys share and you guys comment and you guys like. That's how we get around a shadow ban. If you want to keep me happy, then keep my sponsors happy. My sponsors, the advocates for self-government. Head over there, take the world's smallest political quiz. Now, some of you are thinking, Larry, I'm not libertarian. Maybe you're not. Go there, click this link so they know it's for me. Click this link and take the quiz. But Larry, I took the quiz already. No worries. There's six more quizzes there for you to take. Police accountability, uh, how to deal with uh, different issues internally. How about the COVID response? All those things. Take those surveys. They're fun. They're exciting. They're interesting. And here's the best part. You can share them with your friends. So even if you've taken them all, I don't care. Go here anyway. And then share the link so other people can take them. You do this. It's free for you. And it helps me by making my sponsors happy. So please go do that if you haven't. The link is right there in the description. It does matter. Do that to the best of your ability. And of course, if you want to support me because you love me because I am a good-looking man, that's true, you can head over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Throw me 10 bucks a month if you got it. If you got big dollars, like you're a big heavy hitter, throw me 25 bucks, 100 bucks a month. Go ahead. You got the money, do it. Show me how cool you are. I will tell you how cool you are if you do it. But 10 bucks is just fine. So thank you, Connor, for letting me do my, my commercial. Of course. So um, let me grab, a, uh, let me go to the next step. And that is you've started something newer. And that is Tuttle Twins TV. Uh, is this cartoons? I haven't seen it to tell you the truth. I heard about it, but I, I've, I've read the books. I've seen your stuff. I've seen Libertas, but Tuttle Twins TV is new for me. Can you help me out with that one? 
So uh, late last year, we raised uh, almost $5 million in crowd investments. This isn't your typical Kickstarter where you get a TV shirt, this uh, uh, a, a T-shirt. This is uh, actual investment from the crowd. People were donating or rather, excuse me, investing a uh, hundred bucks, thousand bucks, 10,000 bucks. So we, we raised almost 5 million. This is going to fund one full season of a cartoon, super high quality cartoon. Mm. A lot of groups in our movement put out animations and videos and stuff, and they're just low budget and kind of cheesy. And maybe you get a you know a few thousand views and you're happy. This is like Netflix level Saturday morning cartoon. Families are going to love it. Now, here's the interesting thing. Our books are primarily educational and a little bit entertaining, right? You got to have the fun little story weaving in the way and silly jokes and whatever, but primarily our books are, are very uh, information heavy, I'll call them, yep. while wrapped in these stories. The cartoon is going to take the exact opposite approach. This is going to be a primarily entertaining family mm-hmm. uh, cartoon for the whole uh, family to watch. It's going to have kind of Simpsons style where you've got adult humor and kid humor. Ah, And so the adults kind of understand certain jokes that's above the kids' heads and the kids have plenty of stuff they can laugh uh, about. And so the information, the education will be a more minor portion. It'll be there. Every episode is going to be talking about a different idea. Uh, It's going to be very consistent with our books, but it's going to have a primarily uh, entertaining aspect to it so that families and especially the kids will watch it over and over again. And this will be kind of think about your marketing funnel where it's broad and then it goes narrower, narrower, narrower as people kind of come more into your world. We want to cast a very wide net. We want 100 million kids watching the Tuttle Twins cartoon. And from there, a large portion, hopefully, of those kids and their families will be like, oh, what are these books? You know, I, they said they're based on books. Let's go get these books. And then they keep learning and then they get our curriculum and so on and so forth. So this premieres uh, this fall. It's going to be on an app that you can download for free. Roku, Apple TV, computer, tablet, phone, wherever you want to watch it, watch it completely for free. We're going to build our own community. We're going to translate this. And so people, this is going to be an international thing. We're pushing this all over the world. And uh, it is so, so exciting. The the cartoons that we're working on, the episodes are so fun. Mm, Um, And people people have been blown away with the quality. So if you're interested in learning about this, the books and everything are at TuttleTwins.com. Remember, coupon code sharp with an e but at tuttletwins.tv is where you can find out about the cartoon there we go tuttletwins.tv you can figure that one out i'm sorry i don't have a link for that one i got i gotta i'll put a link in the description later there <laughs> no, we go so, yes i didn't know about a tv thing that's why i'm sorry <laughs> I, I i didn't know that it's brand new see so i'm i'm, I'm not that bad so jesse says great books and semper filer semper Fi, brother another marine i love that yes um jeff says that's why they did away with civis class and replace it with social mm. studies. Mm-hmm. You know, Might as well call sure. it socialism studies. <laughs> there we go. I, I I wonder if if I've seen civics class go away, the more federal funds are involved in a school district. Because the federal funds don't care about civics. They care about scores on tests. And civics isn't, isn't a test. So they don't get money based upon the civics test. That makes sense. If we change incentives, we probably get civics back. Or if we got rid of federal funding, either of those, get rid of federal funding. But I would take either of them. It's 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 okay. So yes, that's good. So um, let's see here. Um, Rome, oh, Roma's on uh, on board. She goes jump on it, guys. Nice. What a percent? Very gener- generous. So thank you, Roma. She's you got you got a fan there. That's good. Absolutely. So um, let me see if I can grab a couple more of these. Uh, Pete says, "Wow, talk about impact. This is a great idea." So Pete's on Larry- board. Let me let me share you a little brief uh, synopsis there. So Elijah and I started the books in 2014. Okay. And granted, when you're starting something new and no one has any clue what this is, no one's heard about it, it's going to go slow before the curve starts kind of going up. If you combine 2014 through 2019, four, five, six, seven, eight, so six years, our first six years, <clears throat> by then we had probably done, I think, 11, 10 or 11 books in our series. Across those six years, we sold a total of 750,000 books. We self-published, we're bootstrapping, we're doing our thing. I think that's amazing. However, in 2020, last year, in one single year, we sold 1.3 million books, nearly double the amount of all past years combined. It was crazy. This year, our goal is 2 million books. And so uh, word has spread. 
families see the woke, crazy mobs coming after their kids, they're like, what do I do? Their friend says, go get the Tuttle Twins books for your kids. Uh, and so we are really leaning into this. It's one of those things when preparation meets opportunity and there's, despite all the crazy happening right now, it is a lot of opportunity for us to say, hey mom, hey dad, you're often talking about how you don't know what to do. You feel that one person can't make change. You're not sure like what you can do, but at a minimum, what you can do is teach your kids and you can talk as a family about these ideas, have some amazing discussions. And that's what the Tuttle Twins is here for. It's great. Um, Bernard asks, I'm a teacher. Is there a discount for bulk purchases? Absolutely. Go to teletwins.com, hit that contact link at the top. You can reach out and inquire about bulk purchases with our customer service team. There we go. There we go. I love that. Good. So we do we do have a, a, a way to make that work. I love that. So Sam says, just bought the combo pack of books with bonus pack to give to family. Look at that. We're rocking and rolling here. This is great. I'm, love it. I'm, I'm thoroughly surprised. I didn't realize it was going to be so popular. I thought I was bringing people <laughs> new stuff. People are like, yeah, we know this guy already. It's fine. But let me then, let me go to something that's more, not the Tuttle Twin side, but more of actual impact. Mm -hmm. You have recently had a victory when it comes to data privacy. And this is Mm -hmm. through Libertas. Please tell me about this. So uh, we mentioned a moment ago, that whole Fourth Amendment, Founding Fathers, Writs of Assistance, NSA. And the Fourth Amendment basically says that if the government wants to invade our privacy, it needs a warrant, you got to go before a judge, et cetera. However, the U.S. Supreme Court a couple decades ago had this ruling that created what's called the third party doctrine. So think of it this Mm. way. Back in the 80s, before cell phones, maybe you and I were mailing confidential letters to one another. But then I take a confidential letter and I put it in a safe deposit box in the bank. According to the Supreme Court in that ruling a couple decades ago, they said, well, Connor does not have the same presumption of privacy in that document because he gave it to a third party, the bank. Uh, and because if he wanted it private, he would have held it to himself. And sure, we would have needed a warrant to go into his home, right, or into his car or whatever. But we can just go to the bank and we can issue a subpoena and not have to have probable cause or anything else. So that is the Supreme Court agreed. And they said, oh, yeah, sure, sure. So that's wow. in an analog context with, with documents, papers, or whatever. But think in a digital age. Even right now, Larry, you and I are having a direct conversation but there are all kinds of third-party companies in between you and I Absolutely. providing the routing and the packet switching and the video compression and the data storage and all that kind of stuff. Uh, or if I send you on Dropbox a confidential business document, I think I'm sending it to you, except it's on a Dropbox server. And so in a digital world, that third-party uh, privacy ruling is horrible because it says the government doesn't need a warrant to access your digital files that are in the cloud. And like everything is in the cloud today. So this is like the biggest privacy thing that no one knows about. So uh, the very short version is- One second. Uh, A lot of people do know about it because that's why some of my friends say, never use an American company for anything like that. Mm, Always use a foreign company. Offshore, yeah. So the government can't take your stuff. I've heard that multiple times. Never use an American company for that. I know that's, how that's, that's terrible. That's pathetic. So yes. uh, the very short version is a few years ago, the Supreme Court overturned their, their third party doctrine ruling in a very narrow case dealing only with cell phone locations. There was a guy who robbed a radio shack. The, the feds went to like AT&T or Verizon or something. They said, give us the guy's cell phone location information. And they had the map of everywhere he had been on that day. And they could show that, oh, he was there at the time of the robbery. And so they challenged it, went to the Supreme Court. They're like, no, he had, even though Verizon or whoever it was had the data, this guy considered that data private. And so you should still need a warrant. And that was a, a great ruling, but limited only to cell phone location information, not all your documents and conversations like this, voicemails, texts, you know, and everything else. So. What we did in Utah was we passed the first and the strongest law restricting the government so that even if whether your your information is on your own device or up in the cloud, the government still has to get a warrant, still needs probable cause. It closes that loophole to make sure that they have to go before a judge, make their case, follow the Fourth Amendment. So now we've helped a couple other states. We're helping states across the country adopt similar laws with the goal of getting federal reforms so that the FBI and all the feds have to abide by the same thing. So it's basically updating the fourth amendment for the digital era because we've fallen behind and the Supreme court just left this gaping hole in the law 
for the government to get around and not have to uh, need a judge to sign off. Look at that. Rock and roll. And guys, if you want to see more and, and understand more of what Libertas is doing, head over to Libertas.org to check them out and see what they're doing. They're having victories, which is good. You, you, you would think, you would imagine that if you're going to be broad-based, that you'd be failing, right? Because you want to focus <laughs> all your stuff. But the opposite's happening. You're actually getting victories. I love it. I love We're it. You're breaking fun. the mold. There we go. Robert says, how do we teach our children to work on it themselves instead of getting the government to help sort it out? And I got to tell you, I, in my view as a parent, I have a 7-year-old and 11-year-old. Um, I feel like you let them fail. And you will you help them up, obviously, as parents want to help the child up. But you let the child fall down. And then you help them back up. You don't pick them up. You help them up so they still can, you know, see that they can get back up. And I think that's how kids begin to build self-esteem. That's how kids begin to realize they can do things. And eventually, at least in my daughters, um, eventually they go, Dad, I don't need your help. Get away from me. Eventually they say, don't touch me. Dad, get away from me. I got it. Eventually they'd say, I don't need your help anymore. I, I fall out. I can get back up. I don't know. Connor, any, any comment on that? I, I feel like we live in a bailout culture, right? Oh, mm. you, you fail cash for clunkers. You know, let, let's stimulate your, your wallet, like all these things. And, um, and so I fully agree with you, Larry. I think that people need to be allowed to fail. Failure is sometimes the greatest learning opportunity that someone has. Yes. The longest lasting impression that you can have is that experience that you overcame. And by depriving people of the opportunity to go through awful experiences and have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps with support from family and friends, uh, we're depriving them of success. We're conditioning them to stay forever in this state of kind of infantile dependency upon others, especially the government. Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. I, I do think we, we, we have to, to work on that. Derek says, you tragic idiots don't know what socialism is. So I guess Derek doesn't think we know what socialism is. Um, Derek, I, I feel like we do. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, and in fact, I think in a way, this should make you happy what he just said. All those people put their money voluntarily into making Tuttle Twins TV. That's voluntary socialism. You should enjoy that, right? It did, that should make you feel a little bit better. I don't know. Am I wrong with that? This always makes me think, oh, all those failed attempts at socialism, that wasn't true socialism. It wasn't what we're talking about today. I've never had socialists, much like conservatives, to be fair. When I ask a conservative, what is conservatism? I get like 400 different answers. When I ask a socialist what socialism is, it's like, oh, well, government ownership of the means of production. And we don't have that today. What we have is a you know controlled market-based economy that has fair redistribution for those in need. I'm like, yeah, no, that's socialism. <laughs> so- I I think what most socialists today, and Derek, please feel free to comment again if I got it wrong. I think what most socialists today think is that socialism is when the workers or the people own the means of production, not the government. I think that's a change in today's socialism. And maybe I'm wrong. Derek, again, please feel free to, to, to correct me if I've made an error here. But I feel like most socialists today, in America at least, I don't know if that's across the world, they aren't about the government owning. They're about the workers owning everything. And that what the government does, is the government basically picks winners and losers. Um, and the government says, yeah, we like this. So they, they would, the government would own all the funding because you can't have capitalists because capitalists are evil. So you can't have capitalists. So therefore the government runs all the money and decides everything. And the government decides, Hey, you 12 people, we, we believe in you. Here's government money. Go start another co-op. We, we, we agree that we need more trucking companies or we agree that we need more so-and-so companies. So here's money. Go start. It. I think that's the mo- more of the closer to the modern day socialist than the older one of Stalin or Mao. So maybe Larry, that will respond. Let me add very briefly, Larry. I use a more, I'll call it inclusive uh, definition of socialism where I don't feel it has to be tied to ownership of anything. I feel like what socialism really fundamentally is is the socialization of the costs of a good or a service. When healthcare or education or police or whatever, the co- when the costs are socialized, forced uh, redistribution of, of wealth, when we're having to pay for what other people benefit from, 
when the costs of, of government are socialized, these programs mm. across many people, to me, that is socialism. To me, socialism really is like making me pay for what other people are getting. And it's mm. like, if, if, if I pay for my trash delivery service and my water and electricity, that's fine because I'm paying for exactly what it costs for me to get that service. But when I, as a homeschool dad, am having to pay to the school district through my property taxes for other people's kids, when my kids don't even go to that school, that's socialism. We're not talking about who owns the means of production of the school system and blah, blah, blah. But the costs are socialized rather than the people who choose to go to the school paying for the school. They're making me pay for it. To me, that's what a broader and inclusive and more layman's understanding and, and accurate definition of socialism actually is. Well, there we go. I hope that answered your, your question, Derek. We both gave you some answers. Don't think that I would not. Of course, I'd answer that question. Yes, I tried to at least. Gene says, yes, Larry, people learn more from mistakes than successes. I think that's often true. Failure is a better is a, is a better teacher than success. I know, Connor, am I off with that? No, I think you're exactly right. There we go. Paul agrees. You learn more from your failures than your successes. The problem is sometimes in today's world, we are so angry at people who fail. We don't give them a, a second chance, right? We just go, oh, that guy failed. That's it. Lodge is like, failure builds character. We like failing here. I love this. Yes. <laughs> Tony disagrees with me. He says that what I'm saying is communism when the workers supposedly own the company in theory. Maybe that's what it is, Tony, but I feel like most, then maybe most of the socialists in America today are more communist. Maybe that's true. But I feel like if you talk to most of them, they're going to tell you that it's about the workers, the people. They, 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 their view is socialism is actually more democratic. That's their view. So, again, clearly I don't believe this, but I think I'm trying to understand what the opposite side's thinking. That's what I believe to be true. So uh, Derek hasn't responded. Either he got mad at us and left, or he, or maybe I was right. And maybe he's like, yeah, Larry, you're right. It's all good. We'll see. <laughs> so Torrance says, I'm a libertarian socialist because individuals could voluntarily work cooperatively to fund common shared goods and resources without government enforcement. I actually agree with you, Torrance. I agree. I don't know, Connor is is is. Are you on board there? Yeah, to, I I don't. I, I'm on board with the concept. I don't like the term because I think socialist inherently implies government coercion. I, I don't know that we can uh, fairly redefine the term. Mm, uh, okay. So, for example, communist I think has the government baggage to it, and rightly so. But a communitarian, right, is someone who wants to voluntarily build those communities together and be able to work in a social cooperative. So. I just, I just don't think we can reclaim the word socialism, nor should we try. Hmm, okay. Paula says, I love how socialists won't define socialism, but they tell non-socialists to go look it up or call us names. But they never define it. They just yell Denmark or Canada. They just sometimes yell Canada sometimes. It's sometimes Sweden. So they will name, they will, they will yell the countries. But this is a, a, a problem that I find often. And Connor, you tell me if you find this too, right? I mean, politics must affect you. And in my world, what I find is so many times when I talk to people, particularly on the left compared to the right, is I get dismissed and attacked and just called an idiot as, as Derek did consistently, even if I don't attack back. And most of the time, my chat is not that bad. It's rarely that bad. The people who follow me rarely do that kind of thing. But they do often to me. Do you get that kind of negativity or that kind of dismissiveness? Um Yes, I, I think there are the kind of um, vocal few who just love to fight mm. and are, are going to throw grenades. However, what I've found, especially I'll use that data privacy uh, example that we were just sharing. What I've found is that when we can work on the ideas of liberty that have broader appeal, um, it ends up being very like we got we got medical marijuana legalized in Utah. Everyone's like ah, conservative state like that would never do it. We got it done. And it was great because left, right, libertarian, progressive, whoever could all rally around this one idea. It was a great way to build relationships with people who I disagree with strongly on a number of other issues. Yeah. Um, and the, the more we can productively work on areas of common ground, I think it does give us an opportunity to communicate with other people who are different than us. We can share with them. Maybe we can learn better, understand their world uh, and their perspective. And honestly, I feel like that's what people are craving right now is like yeah. dinner table conversations of mutual respect yes. and, and calm discussion. And let's understand one another. Doesn't mean we have to be friends. Doesn't mean we have to agree. But like, 
help me understand why you think the way you do. What was your upbringing like? And what do you think about this? It's so absent from our discourse today. I think people are starved for it. And so the yeah. more we can productively try and collaborate with people who aren't in our echo chamber, I think it's, it's great for broadening our exposure, our mental health, our relationships. I mean, some of my greatest friends are people that I don't agree with politically. And that just seems like verboten today. And I feel like we got to get back to that. I agree completely. Guys, if you like in this conversation, do me a favor, like, comment, share. It does matter. It helps. Please do that. And as you hear me bug you all the time, I'm going to bug you one more time. If you came in late, take the world's smallest political quiz. Support the, the show by supporting one of our sponsors. It is without question an excellent sponsor. People also trying to make big change, getting people to understand things, right? The Advocates for Self-Government. It's the world's smallest political quiz. If you've taken it already, take it again or share it for your friends or go there and take some of the other quizzes that are there. There are many of them there to enjoy. Take them and post them and share them so others can come. It does matter tremendously. And of course, I ask you all the time, like my stuff. Go on YouTube. Like the Sharp Way on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter on the Sharp Way. I know you all follow me on Larry Sharp. I know. You love me from when I ran for governor. But now do it for Sharp Way too. Not just that. I got to have two because I might get canceled. So I got to have a backup. So head on over to, to Sharpway Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, like those so that I can grow there all. So it does matter. And if you love me enough, support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Sharpway. Throw me a couple bucks. It's great. But remember, free. Take the world's smallest political quiz. It does matter. And the last piece I'll bring up is something that you brought up, which is if you want some cool Tuttle Twin stuff, head on over there. Buy it and then put in the 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 the, the code SHARP with an E for entertaining edu education see it's entertaining got economic education triple triple e triple e you can't but put one e don't put three e's put one <laughs> e put sharp but one e get 40 percent off share that with your friends life is is, is good it really is uh a great way of, of helping out the movement itself so let me before we wrap this up is there anything i've missed i think i try to cover most of what libertas is doing and a Tuttle Twins, Tuttle Twins TV. Did I miss something? Um, no. You know, as I said, we're starting to work nationally. I would just say there's groups like us across the country. And so wherever your listeners are, if you're curious what center-right, you know, libertarian, free market, conservative think tank is in your backyard working in mm. your state, you can go to spn.org, which stands for State Policy Network. And there's a map there where you can say, click on your state and find what organizations are working in your backyard? Go follow them on social media, join their email list, see if they're doing events, reach out. You know, maybe they got internships or jobs or you can connect with them some way. But there's a lot of groups across the country fighting for freedom in their local communities. And so it'd be great for your listeners to connect with them too. There we go. I love that, guys. And if you want to see more stuff, no worries. If you look to the right side in, in that uh, description, you look there, you're going to see a link, tree link. Click that link and you can get our podcast. You can get our TikTok account. Yes, Connor, we are super cool. We do TikTok. TikTok account. We got special stuff there. Click on that. You can see my book coming out. Click on that too. And all of that is done because my team is so amazing. Thank you, team. Guys, thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your evening. I will see you all very soon. And Connor, thank you for coming. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. Great. I will see you all very soon.